Please be seated. It is so good to see you. And if you're watching online, it is great that you are with us. It wouldn't be the same without you. And you know, as we've just um, talked about uh, Father's Day and Father God, for some people, like all celebratory days, some people can struggle through days like this. It's not always great. There are, I think of... um, Uh, some people that I know right now and a young pastor's wife that's a widow and she has very young children and today would be a day that would be difficult but I know that her faith and her trust is in her heavenly father but it doesn't take away the pain of loss but it does help in some degree you know I think of my my own mother and today she won't be getting father's day cards through the door for for her husband because he's no longer there. But I just pray that if that is you today, that the grace and the love would overwhelm you, that you are loved so much by your heavenly Father. As I said before, God's fatherhood is holy. It goes above and beyond any, any, any relationship that we could experience here on earth. God's love is immeasurable. It's unconditional. It's inexplainable. I couldn't try to explain it if I, if I had all the, the best words in the world. You have to experience it. And it's never ending. Because we serve, we have an amazing Father God that, that his Love is so grand. There is no weakness in him. There is no limitation in him. He never gets it wrong. And he promises so many promises to us throughout his word, this Bible. One of my favorite promises from Father God is that he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. No matter what I do, no matter where I end up, he has promised to stick so close to me. And I hold on to that promise every day. And in this Bible, there are over 7,000 amazing promises from our Heavenly Father. You know, I had to scoot around the auditorium just now looking for someone who who had a good old-fashioned Bible that I could hold up and show you. You see, my Bibles are all on my iPad and my devices. I've got these at home. And so I just want to put a disclaimer out there for all of us. When we see people who are not carrying these into church, don't, don't think they're not reading their Bibles. They've just got a different device to read them on. But I thank you for this anointed Bible, Des, that you have allowed me to use today, because I want to use it as an illustration that within this Bible, there holds over 7,000 promises to God's children. 7,000. I mean, that's, that's plenty more than one every day. But these promises within these pages are kept because Father God is a promise keeper. Have you ever made a promise? Have you ever made a promise that you didn't quite keep? I wonder if there's any fathers in the house today that maybe made some promises they couldn't keep, but we won't go there. 
Our Father God, within this word, has promised to love us, protect us, to give us strength, to answer us, to provide for us, to give us peace, and he's promised to love us. But today, I want to take us through a quick journey through these pages because there is one particular promise that I want us to hone in on, and it's actually called the promise of the Father So it's in Acts, as we've taken our journey through Acts, I'm going to start at the beginning again in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He had appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he, Jesus, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Some versions it says, wait for the father's promise which you have heard me speak about, so it's no surprise to them that are listening. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is the Father's promise. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has sent of his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up. He was gone again before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky. They were, they were bewildered as he was going When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now I can imagine at this time, these young men were probably no more than early 20s. And they'd gone through such a traumatic experience with Jesus. They'd seen him die on the cross. And then they saw him um, come alive again. And they were so excited. And they'd actually experienced 40 days with their Savior. And so their hope was lifted again. And now again, he disappears into the clouds and he's gone. Has he broken a promise of being with them? forever. You know, Abraham Lincoln, he was known for being um, total abstinence from alcohol. He never took a drink in his life. And one day, a colonel in his military came to him and said, uh, would you like a drink? And offered him a drink of alcohol. Lincoln responded, many years ago, my mother on a deathbed summoned me to her as a nine-year-old boy And she asked me to give her this promise, that I would never, ever take a drink of alcohol. He said to the colonel, I promised my mother that I never would. And up to this point in life, I have never taken a drink of alcohol. So, colonel, what would you advise me to do with your offer of this drink? Shall I break that promise? And the colonel didn't think straight away. He said, No, definitely not. That is one big promise to keep. I'm not sure that many of us can keep such strong promises. 
And we're living in an age, we're living in a culture of broken promises. Even before we came out to church today, if you'd have scanned the news on your app, you would have seen that poor Boris has broken more promises or he's accused of breaking more promises, that our government, that our politicians, they let us down, they give us broken promises. But then even closer to home, our friends break their promises. The ones that we love, our friends, our family, our relatives, the ones that are close to us, at times in our lives, they make promises that they aren't able to keep. And when we are a recipient of a broken promise, it hurts, it's painful. We lose trust. We get disheartened. In fact, broken promises breaks relationships because it breaks our heart. The Father's promise that we're talking about today, that we've just read in Acts, is a promise that weaves from the very beginning of this Word of God right through to the very end. And I'm going to take us on a little part of that journey to show us that this promise from the Father, even though we read it in the New Testament, even though we read it at the point where Jesus has now left this earth to ascend to heaven, even though we are in this auditorium today, even before we were born, that there was a promise that the Father started and had prepared for us way back, way back in Genesis, even before time began. God created humankind. He created human beings. He created Adam and Eve. And the point that he created us was for relationship. He wanted us to do life with him. When he made Adam and Eve in the garden, it was so that they could fellowship together, so that they could have friendship together, so that they could live life outward together. Because God is a God of love. God is a father that wants to be in connection with his children. He wants to be involved with his children. He doesn't want to be separated. He wants to be involved in every single aspect of our lives. But if you've read the story in Genesis, we know that Adam and Eve did this thing called sin. They disobeyed God. In other words, they broke a promise. And breaking a promise, as we've just learned, breaks down relationships. Even today, a broken promise is breaking marriages, it's breaking friendships, it's breaking business relations, it's, it's separating people, it's cutting them off. And this was no different for Adam and Eve. Once they had broken a promise to God, they were cut off from his love. Not from his love, cut off from the garden. They were cut off from being at one, cut off, separated, and they had to leave. And every single generation that has been born onto the, this earth since that day is born into a separated state from God. Maybe you thought that you didn't have to do anything at all and that just God was connected to you straight away. But as we read through and as we see, there is something that God has decided to do to bring us back to that place where we are reconnected to him. Something where he can destroy the source of sin once and forever. I know sin is such an old-fashioned word, but sin is things like hate, greed, racism, gossip, anger that's uncontrolled, jealousy, lying, 
cheating and breaking promises. And even though we sit there and, and listen to this stuff, every one of us is guilty of some of that stuff at some point in time. Sin is still in the business of breaking down our relationships. Still in the business of separating us from those that we love. But right back in Genesis 3, God the Father makes a decision there and then, and you can read it when you get home. He makes a decision to break down the source of sin because he wants us reconnected to him. And he decides to make a promise. And the promise begins like this. In Genesis 18, 18, there's a man called Abraham. And Abraham, it said of him, will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him because God is going to use this man to bring about his promise. Let's see how. Abraham then has a son called Isaac. And in Genesis 26, 4, it says about Isaac, your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. How will we be blessed through Isaac? Because Isaac has a son called Jacob. And Jacob, it says in 28 Genesis 14, all peoples, everyone on earth will be blessed through your offspring. That means you and me today. We've never met these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, apart from reading them through this book. But then Jacob has 12 sons, and these 12 sons become the nation of Israel. And of Israel, again, all nations of the world will be blessed through this nation called Israel, but especially so through a tribe called Judah, especially so because out of the tribe of Judah comes the Messiah, comes the Lord, comes the anointed king, comes our saviour, our salvation, and our connection, our way back to the Father God. But something had to be done, something that Jesus had to do to put all these things in line, to allow the Father's promise to come to earth. Jesus, the Son of God, had to come down from heaven, lay aside his majesty for a while, and become human form. And he had to walk this earth and experience life as we experience it. But more than that, he had to die on a cross, a very painful death. And he came knowing that he had to die. And after dying, he had to rise. And after rising, he had to ascend. Let me explain. You see, Jesus had to die to pay for this thing that I've called sin. So all the junk and all the mess that we do in life, he will pay the price for that because God cannot be connected to us when we have got sin in our lives. And so he needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame. And he got his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, you take the blame of all the world, of all the world's sin. You take it because I cannot look at sin. And for a moment on the cross, God himself, the Father, had to turn his back on his one and only son because he carried the sin of me he carried the sin of you even the sin I'm gonna do tomorrow 
Because every time I mess up now, because I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ, I can take my mess and my sin and give it to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And he makes me clean. And then I stand before God in the righteousness of the Son, in the righteousness not of my own, but of Jesus Christ. And that connects me to the Father day after day after day. So Jesus had to live on this earth. So Jesus had to die on the cross for me. And he had to conquer death. He had to get rid of the pain, the sting, the finality of death. And on that glorious day, he rose and was resurrected. And that meant he had conquered sin. He had conquered death. He was now Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He was ruler, supreme. But there was one more thing that he had to do. And these, these young, young men and women around him at this time in Acts, when we've just read this passage of Scripture, they didn't quite get it yet, but they didn't understand that Jesus couldn't stay with them on earth. He had to fulfill the mission that the Father had sent him to do. And that meant he had to go and take his rightful place, take his rightful seat, the throne at the right hand of the Father. When his work on earth was done, he sat down on that throne and he is interceding for all of us right now. And he promised, he said to them, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. Because he's going to send the Father's promise. In Galatians 3, 2, 29, it says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise of the Father, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Genesis. The promise has been there at the beginning of time for us to enjoy right now, right here. In Galatians 3.14, it says, through Christ Jesus, God blessed the Gentiles, that's us, we're not Jews, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that he and her that believes might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So it tells me that the Father's promise is the Holy Spirit, that I have access to the Holy Spirit, the Father's promise. But Jesus had to go to heaven so that he could release that promise on earth. If I am in Christ, if I am born again, if I have the DNA that connects me as a family member to the Father, then I can have his promise. And throughout this book, weaves this promise. Throughout this book, we are reminded and told again and again and again, the Father loves you. And there is a promise for you to receive. So there's a promise. But why? Why do we need this promise? Because there is power in this promise. Let's go back to that scene where they are watching Jesus go up to heaven. And remember, 
they have, they have just gone through this traumatic experience of up and down through these past days. They've had 40 glorious days rubbing shoulders with him. And I can just imagine that how excited they were when they had gone for three years of giving up their livelihoods, three years of being, their, of being his disciples, three years of following after Jesus, three years of learning about this man who was a Messiah, who was God, and experiencing the miracles and being in the place and the time, three years of all that and the hope that was in him, and then he gets killed on a cross. So after their three years of excitement and faith growing, he's gone, he's dead, and then he rises, and then he comes back to them for 40 glorious days, and now we've met them where he's just gone back to heaven They knew the task. They knew what they were supposed to do. So there they are, looking at the clouds, bewildered. Is he coming back? Is he joking? Uh, he hasn't gone again, has he? Has he left us to do what he said? And so they, they walk back, back to the office, back to business, back to the normal life, but not quite so normal. They go back to the room where they've been told to go. They were told to go back and to wait in Jerusalem. And so after a few days, you know, there's only so much prayer and fasting you can do. And after a few days of prayer and maybe a game of Monopoly, I don't know. But after a while, then they got some business done and they replaced Judas and they had some prayer meetings, they had some leadership meetings. But basically, they just waited and waited and they did nothing. They knew the task. They knew that Jesus had given them a commission. But the commission was so hard. The commission was so beyond what they could do. And it, it goes a bit like this. Go and make disciples of all nations. What? I've got to learn different languages. I've got to go travel in different countries. I've got to learn different customs. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now let me just give you some understanding. They were in a place called Jerusalem, but they were Galileans. Jerusalem was quite high-class society. And they despised their country cousins from Galilee. In fact, a theologian puts it like this. Even an impeccably Jewish Galilean in the first century Jerusalem was not among his own people. He was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. And a superior culture in this capital city would have been a prejudice against his claim to be heard. So, these young men and women, these young disciples, 120 of them, are gathering in this place called Jerusalem. They know that Jesus has told them what to do, that they've got to go out and preach the gospel. They have got to go out into this posh town called Jerusalem and tell these posh people, the Jerusalem people, who've just killed Jesus, by the way, and they've got to tell them that they're sinners and they've got to repent, they've got to turn away from their ways, and they've got to trust their lives into this Jesus who they've just killed. Yeah, right. I'm sure they're going to do that. They are uneducated. 
they are underage and they are foreigners and they are fugitives and they've got no voice because they are just unheard and like they're too scared, too young, they're too far from home and they're, they're too shocked and they're still in trauma, come on. And, 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 and they are shaken to the core by everything that's gone on. They just want to go home to their moms. They're not smart people. They haven't got iPads and stuff like that. They're, they're not that good. They're not eloquent. They're not courageous they're like tongue-tied and they're, they're weak and they're, they're fearful and they're just out of their depth. They're out of their comfort and they're out of their own ability. They are not equipped. They are not confident to do this task. They are not trained to do this task. Can anyone in this place or at home identify with that feeling? And they are prejudiced against You know, the stuff that God calls us to do is not easy. God asks us to do things that is beyond our capability. Because the only way we can do the God stuff is through the Father's promise, through the power, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When I was at Bible college with Pastor Jason over 30 years ago, I was very shy. I was very tongue-tied like these. I couldn't speak to anyone. If I knew someone in the street, I would cross over on the other side because I was so embarrassed to talk to anyone. I remember being asked to give a a two-minute word at some alpha course or something, and I was so petrified that I seriously, I packed my bags and I went home to my mom's. And they had to get someone else to stand in. And I remember getting to my mom's house, running away from the call of God, running away from something tiny that God had asked me to do, and just feeling so inadequate and so useless and so fearful. And yet, when I got into the wrong place, I realized I'd messed up. And I remember laying down on my face and crying to God and just saying to him, Lord, if you will give me another chance, I won't run away again. You know, God gives us many more chances. And it wasn't too long when another chance came along, another invitation to say a little word came along, and oh, I was still in that same place. I was still inadequate. I was still nervous. I was still fearful. I was still tongue-tied. I didn't know what to do. But all I knew to do was to do it fearful, to do it afraid, to do it shaking. I was bright red. I was stammering. I was stuttering. But I did it. And there are some of you that you just need to go out and do it afraid. If God has asked you to do something, as God has called you to do something, you cannot do it in your own strength. You might have to get past your own weakness. And I got to that place where I thought, well, Linda, if you're going to be mumbling and jumbling and you're going to be bright red and stammering and stuttering, I'll leave you to it, but I'm still going for it. I'm going to do it scared. I'm going to do it afraid. And as we step out into the scary places of God, as we step out in fear and trembling, that's when the Father's promise kicks into action. And the Holy Spirit anointing and ability enables us and empowers us and strengthens us to do what he has called us to do. 
So here they are in this upper room waiting. It says, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Even though there's a point where you've got to step out, there's also a point where you've just got to wait for that moment where you hear God's voice, where you receive what it is that is to send you. I hate waiting, don't you? I hate waiting in queues for my coffee. I hate waiting in the traffic jams. I just hate waiting for my computer to sort itself out. I just hate waiting. I hate waiting for prayers to be answered. But I guess I'm the only one in this building that's not good at waiting. But it's often in the waiting times that God does his best stuff through us. It's as we're waiting and we're straining to urge God to to let us out and to do that thing or whatever it is we're waiting for. We're anxious, but as we're in that waiting place, all the dregs of our life seem to come to the surface and God scrapes it all off and deals with it in that waiting place. I love it. It says in Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and patiently wait for him. Not sure I do it patiently, but I'm learning to wait upon him for his timing. Because God often takes a long time to do something suddenly. You know, recently, last week, We'd been waiting a long time to, to work out our house and to move in it and stuff like that. And then uh, on, on Saturday, last Saturday, Jason decided to ring up the removal company and just book us in for the removal and see when they could do it. And we'd heard that some people are waiting months to be moved. And as he made that phone call, the removal company said, yep, we can do it in the hour. Oh, so we moved within the hour, and it's like we'd been waiting such a long time to get to that point of what we were doing that God did it suddenly after a long time of waiting. But I love this suddenly. In Acts 2, it says this, suddenly, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house in which they were sitting. No, they weren't doing anything. They weren't actually, they might have been, but it doesn't say that they were praying or fasting or working hard or earning their way, but they were just sitting, waiting for the Father's promise because we cannot earn it. There is nothing we can do to receive what God so freely wants to give us by his grace. They were sitting and they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Father's promise. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Staying in Jerusalem were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. Remember what the commission was to go to all the ends of the earth, to all the nations, and yet here all the nations heard them speaking. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Because it is the power of the Holy Spirit in action. But what is the purpose? 
What is the purpose that God wants to give us this amazing promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit? He says, because you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and in your workplaces and in your offices and in your schools and in your nations and in your towns and in your cities and in your families. You will be my witnesses. He didn't say you have to go and, 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 and start witnessing. He said, you will be my witness because when the power of God, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, you cannot contain it and you will be different. And the power and the glory and the presence of God will emanate from you. And that is being his witness. On that day, the church began. It was launched. It was Pentecost. And it was by the unqualified, the unschooled, the uneducated, the unknown people. And Peter stood up and he preaches his very first sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because it is the Father's promise, the Holy Spirit power. This is Peter. Peter who is out of his comfort zone. Peter, who is far from home, out of his own territory. Peter, who is out of his depth. Peter, who is a failure. Peter, who denied Christ. Peter, who sunk in the water and the seas. Peter, who even left the ministry and gave up. Peter, who messed up. Peter, who Jesus said to him, On you, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, on that day, when Peter preached that message and 3,000 people got saved under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There was no iPad. There was no notes. There was no Bible because it hadn't yet been printed and written. There was no Jesus because he descended to glory. He wasn't there in the flesh anymore. But there was within him the power and the presence and the anointing of the promise of the Father the Holy Spirit. And when we, when we are endowed, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are emboldened, we are anointed, we are empowered, and we are called, and we are clothed, and we are filled with the Father's promise for the Father's glory. And then we walk about in our lives, reflecting and demonstrating the power and the glory of God. There is so much that we can learn and say about the Holy Spirit, but today's message is not about that. I just wanted to show you that the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit was not an afterthought that was tagged on in the book of Acts, but it was in the very, very beginning when the first of creation messed up. At the very, very beginning of my life and your life, when we first messed up, God decided to make a promise to you and to me that he was making a way back for us to go back to him, to reconnect, to be in his presence so that we could live our lives in the power, the anointing, and the grace of God. God's plan today in this place and wherever you are watching at home, God's plan has not changed. It is to invade you. It is to indwell your life with the power and the presence and the purpose of his promise, the Holy Spirit. Will you embrace today the Father's promise for you? Would you this morning 
again say, Lord, let me receive afresh the Holy Spirit? Would you again say, Lord, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, my life feels powerless, unanointed right now. Lord, there are so many things in my life that seem undoable right now that I can't do in my own strength. Can I have the Father's promise stirred within my soul again? In Galatians 3.14, I said, through Christ Jesus, God blessed everyone with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. In order to receive the promise of the Father, you need to go through the Son. You need to come into the family. You need the same DNA through the same bloodline of Jesus. And maybe you're in this place today and you cannot say for sure that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour then in a moment I'm going to pray for you. And maybe you are a Christian in this place today or watching at home. And maybe you are rekindled by what you've heard, that you want to step into the power and presence of God. Maybe that was you at one time, but maybe it's just through COVID and the stuff that's happened. It's, it's just drained you. Your Bible tells us over and over to be filled and filled and filled with the glory of God just before the band play us out I'm going to pray a prayer so if that's you I'm praying for you Lord Jesus I'm not sure that I know you but I know that you know me I've heard some stuff today and I don't understand it all but I know one thing that I want to taste and see how good this life is with you. I understand that I've messed up and I've done some sin and I ask you to forgive me for that sin because you take it away. You, you pay the price of what I've done and I ask you today, Lord, to, to take that away from me, to make my path clear, that I can come into relationship with you and the Father God. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to fill me with the Father's promise, the Holy Spirit, that empowers me, that enables me to live life at a higher level, to live life in, in the way that you created me to live. I want to be part of your bloodline, Jesus. Take my life today. I give you my heart in Jesus' name. And for those of you that do know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, we pray right now that the Holy Spirit would come. That the Holy Spirit would come again into your life in, in fresh power. Lord, I pray for all the hungry souls, the hungry hearts, that we've gone through so much stuff. But Lord, some of it is in our own strength. But we need you again, Lord, to breathe on our lives again to give us fresh hope, fresh power, and fresh anointing. Forgive us, Lord, of trying to do stuff in our own strength. We come afresh 
come anew into your grace today, Father God. And we ask that you fill us and give us the Father's promise on this Father's Day of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Our Father God, today, is still invading our lives with that wind that was blowing on that day in the upper room with his promise, the Father's promise, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.